Long live the new flesh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. And we are here to talk about one of uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, one of the, the coolest movies in existence. <laughs> it's David Cronenberg's 1983... Uh, Cyber thriller? I don't. Is it? I sure. Yeah, we could start I, I, there. It's probably more that than body horror, right? I mean, it's a little bit of both. But Videodrome. We'll get into that. Videodrome, Videodrome with the great, the great James Woods, James Woods at the center, and also Debbie Harry Debbie of Harry. Uh, Blondie fame, yes. playing a brunette in this one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to talk about here. But yeah. before we get into that, uh, you know, welcome to I like to movie movie. Yes. Um, a big thank you to anyone who has ever attended Movie Movie Live. Yes. Um, we're on a, a hiatus for Movie Movie Live. Yes, we are. Um, we're putting a little bit more time into the podcast, and there's plenty of more live stuff to come. Mm-hmm. But in our absence, definitely still continue to check out Philomoka. They've been great to us, and Amazing. the programming is absolutely excellent, top to bottom. You know, so, uh, always support them. You're going to get to see Emo Phillips there live yeah. in October, I believe. That's insane. That's, That's insane. a good a good get. Yes. Um, the Psychotronic Film Society has yes. started there. So a lot of cool stuff is happening at Philomoka in our absence. Yes, and we will um, be there for Psychotronic Film things and all, all kinds of things like that so you Absolutely. can find us at Philomoka still in the future you can also find us online uh, we have a twitter at i like two movie with the number two yep um uh, you can follow us on facebook facebook.com slash i like two movie and the website is burgeoning right now it is yes. a tumblr but it is i like two movie.tumblr.com so check those out um, for all things movie movie related follow us like and subscribe on itunes we mm-hmm. would love it. yeah uh and uh what are we doing this week we are doing some Videodrome. We're going to be talking about Videodrome. We're also going to be, in honor of, of Debra, uh, Deborah Harry, we'll call her. Deborah Harry. A, yeah, that's how she's credited, credited in right? this movie. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to be talking about musicians that made the jump into film. Yes. And uh, listing some of uh, the most notable entries. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that. Anything you want to drop into this? Uh, I don't think we need to drop anything else in that hot, hot intro. Uh, any any uh, Anything we want to hit before we get into the movie? Any 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 newsworthy any, any anything you got in your brain um nah nothing really nothing yeah, really i think i think we can uh, we can just kick this Let's bad do it. boy Let's do it. off so at the center of much of David Cronenberg's work has been internalized horror. While the 1950s always brought us monsters from an outside world, Cronenberg's 80s brought the horror from within. From the physical manifestations of insecurity in The Brood, to the literal blood-sucking armpit penis of Rabbit, <laughs> and eventually to a thematic reimagining of The Fly, which cruelly preys on the physical terror of unchecked technological advance, Cronenberg has always turned the viewers' insides against them. Later in his career with Spider and A Dangerous Method, he explored the most fragile piece of the human body, the mind. Videodrome exists somewhere in the middle, calling into question our sensory functions and how they may respond to different input. The world posited by Videodrome is one in which technology and media begin to merge with human physicality, offering a commentary on technology's role in society. Does TV make you a drone? Is it really just a boob tube? Is it a method of mass control? Can it be used for good? These are all questions which permeated society at the time of Videodrome's release. Cut to the present day. 
We no longer fear technology, and while we're all aware of the power it can wield, we're also hell-bent on merging it with our biology. Fitness trackers, cell phones, iWatches, Bluetooth, and an app that puts Pokemon into our world. (laughs) And this is where I want to open up. In a world that is more awash with media technology than ever, is Videodrome an outdated piece of prescient but inaccurate science fiction, or is it more relevant than ever? I could not stop thinking about that. That was literally what I was thinking about the whole movie, was like, is this... Is this predicting the world I live in now, or or did it, or or is it too fearful a reaction to the world it was moving into? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking that the whole time. I was really trying to consider how I guess I feel as a person right now, living in a world where I know for sure I'm glued to. The, I I shouldn't say this out loud on a podcast. I watch movies while I work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like I am glued mostly. Well, and you work. At a screen. Right. You know, I spend eight hours every day at a screen. Yeah. In between, I look into my phone. Yep. Get all of my news from there. When I go home, I put on a movie on a screen. Yep. A portable screen that I can keep with me. Yes. Oftentimes, I will be watching a movie on one screen, and in my other screen, I'm reading news stories. Yeah, yeah. It's We uh, are tapped in to totally. the... You know, the media is happening. Yeah. While I do it, I'm wearing, right now I'm wearing an Apple Watch and a Fitbit. Mm-hmm. Two things that I don't need, but I want. Mm-hmm. I want my technology to bond with me. Right. It's my like incorporated thing, with you at that absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with the Fitbit, it tracks my motion, my mm-hmm. exercise, my physicality. Your sleeping patterns, right? My ideal physicality is a goal that I've set through my Fitbit. Right. Um, every day when I look at my Apple Watch, my favorite thing is when it tells me how many calories I've burned. Right. How many hours of sleep that I've gotten. And then I click over and check the weather. Yeah. It's it's wild how much... And, and you know, when, when I have goggles that I can put on mm-hmm. that will augment my reality, I will do that too. I'm oh, excited yeah. to do that. I've tried it. I it's think really there's fun. Po- there's potential for that. Uh-huh. So I think, yes, this was rather predictive. But one of the things that's interesting about it is that it is dated. Yes. It's based around VHS tapes. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't use those anymore. No, no, yeah. You know, it's it's we couldn't use the DVD player to watch this movie right. and had to stream it yep. because the DVD player doesn't work. Yep. Are you going to fix it? No. No, you're going to move on. I don't need to. <laughs> you're going to move on from it. Because Death to Videodrome long live the new flesh of streaming video. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it it that is I guess actually that it we, I was questioning just before we started recording what is going on in the end of this movie when when he switches sides from Videodrome to, we'll call it the new flesh? Like, what's happening there? Is that a good thing for him or is it a bad thing? And I think I'm now kind of realizing it's what you said. It's, no, it's just the next thing. It's just the next it thing. It just keeps moving. It keeps it developing. On how it keeps we evolving. Use it. Yeah. You know, what What can you do with it? Yeah. You know, uh, I how mean... How do you wield it? Ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's always the criticism that we're more connected than ever. Yes. Um, we have listeners in Japan. Yes. But at the same time, like there is a digital wall between us. Mm-hmm. I have a digital wall between me and my own mother. Yeah. I see her once or twice a month. Yeah. But I talk to her all the time via my little screen box. I, I thought about this the other day. For as good of friends as you and I are, I think our relationship is probably more dedicated between screens than it is face to face. Generally. I had a disagreement with my girlfriend once, yeah, and she said, "Oh, and and it turned out to be just via text. We misunderstood the tone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was like, and I believe the the line she said was, well, we have a generally text based relationship.' And it occurred to me, like, we do, yeah, I have a text based relationship with most people, yeah. Um, I talk to people more than I ever talk to them, but through text, yes, I never call people. No, I call my mom. I think it's weird when people call me. Yeah, like it's gotten to that point. It's like very weird when I get a phone call. Mm-hmm. I always think something's wrong. 
Because mm-hmm. it's like, why would you call? You don't yep. need to call. Who me. died? Yeah, yeah. Who died? <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't need to expend the energy of dialing my like finding my name in your address book. Yeah, you should have expended it on your thumbs into your little keyboard. Yep. Yeah, and it gives you. There's also where I'm more connected. At the same time, I'm not tasked with making an immediate response. Right. Uh, if somebody says something to me on the phone, I can um and ah, but there's there's a time limit right. before I have to have a response. But if someone texts me, I can go, oh, fuck it, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. But if, you know, and then I can think about it really, th- I can mm-hmm. literally edit. I can type out what oh, I yeah. want, edit it to what I need it to be, and then send it. So it's this strange idealized version of reality. We're, I feel like we're all our funniest selves in a in a group chat. Yep. Because Absolutely. we have that opportunity to edit and, and, and think for a second before the response comes yep, out. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And that's one of the things the, the character in this movie of Professor Brian Oblivion. <laughs> yes. Brian O-Blivion. Um, he, what uh, an absurd character. Oh, an absurd character. But what's great about it is he only speaks through screens. Yes. And when that's introduced, uh, I would imagine in the 80s, that seems like, what a pretentious idiot. Yeah. That's what we all do That's all the literally time. Literally all we do. That's it's what, what you we were and just I are talking describing. about. Yeah. Yep. We talk through screens. And he even, I had a line where he said, uh, I, oh, you know what? I didn't write down the line, but where he said, you know, Oblivion is not my given name. Right. It's the name that I choose to be seen as. Yes. Well,. That's my screen name. Yeah. That's my Twitter handle. Yes. That's my Instagram yep. handle. That's not my name. It is super predictive. The yep. movie is like really predictive of a lot of the ways in which technology will allow us to um, sort of recraft our identity. And that's mm-hmm. l- kind of literally what the movie's about, too, is he is transform. He's physically transforming. And we have used technology to, in some cases, we are physically transforming ourselves now. But m- more specific to what this movie is about, we are transforming our identity. Mm-hmm. We've, the, the technology has allowed us to redefine ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in any way we see fit, because we, you know, we create these online personas, you know, these these profiles that are supposed to describe who we are. But we, just like with a text message, the reason we use that instead of call is because it gives us a second to craft it. Mm-hmm. That's what an online profile is. It's not really me. It's my crafting of me Absolutely. that I have put out. When you do like an online the, dating profile, mm-hmm. when you meet someone at the bar, you know, all the chips generally are out on the table. Yeah, you might do your hair nice. You might yeah. be dressing up, going out, trying to meet somebody. But on a profile, I am cherry picking all of the things that I want to be read about me. Yes. All of my own interpretation of mm-hmm. me filtered through that out there. Whereas if you put me next to any online dating profile I had, there are going to be things that are accurate. Yes. But there's going to be a lot of things that someone who knows me is like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, like now that I've gotten to know you, I, that's actually not the thing. Right. Yeah. Do you really like, quote unquote, going on adventures? <laughs> I don't know. Calling some bullshit on that. But, you know, it's, it's this idealized version where you put yourself out there yes. to do it. You are, you're putting out this, this perfect version of yourself in the hopes mm-hmm. to kind of get past that facade of real life. Yeah. And so if we're living in a world where we are committing a lot of time and energy and thought to basically a, another version of us, mm-hmm. uh, when does the line start to blur between who we really are and what technology is allowing us to become, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what Videodrome is about. I think that's probably the main, the main theme of it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I mean, the basic story of the of the movie oh, yeah, to start it yeah. off is just James Woods plays Max Wren. No, he plays James Woods. He plays James <laughs> Woods, uh, going by the screen name of Max Wren. <laughs> He's uh, James Wood plays Max Wren. He is the uh, 
the head of a small uh, TV studio, yes. uh, Civic 83, which I think is kind of funny. The slogan for Civic 83 is the one you take to bed with you. Oh, right. Uh, which is, is funny because it's it's putting out the idea that this is personal. This mm-hmm. is something that you do. And we we do that now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have friends that like our friendship spawned over. We both watched Breaking Bad. Yeah. You know, I, I take that to bed with me. Mm-hmm. But it's also, also the same thing. Fall asleep to TV a lot. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, there's there's a theory in um, not even a theory. This is something that studios used to go by. Mm-hmm. Now things are different because we can demand TV yes. when we want it, how we want it, pause it, and all that. Mm-hmm. But when it was just broadcast, mm-hmm. least objectionable programming right. is something that people did. They weren't trying to find the best show. Mm-hmm. They were trying to find the show that you were least likely to turn off. Turn off. Right. That's why the new show always came on after South Park. Right. Because People tuned in for South Park, mm-hmm. but whatever they were trying to float next, they put it out there. And if people turned it off, well, it was obje- quote unquote objectionable programming, and that mm-hmm. not, not necessarily not necessarily offensive in, but in a content objectionable way, yeah. in that you just say I'm not watching this. Yeah, not for me. But that's how things like like Bob Ross right. has a huge following mm-hmm. because when we were little kids, it was on and it was hard to turn off. Yeah, you didn't ever want to. You just oh yeah, that's fine. This yep. this can this will do. Yeah, this is fine. And so his this his, could be the background uh, of the next two hours of my day. Exactly. Yeah. And so his station, Civic eighty three, the yes. one you take to bed with you, he is searching for what is that program that's going to draw people. Right. What's going to be the thing that people and uh, he discovers Videodrome, which mm-hmm. appears to just be torture. Yes. Just torture on TV. Mm-hmm. And when questioned as to why do you why do you play schlock programming, his thing is well, it's a business decision. Business. People, people, We're a small burgeoning company. We need eyeballs. We need something that people don't get anywhere else. Yep. So he's bucking the trend of least objectionable, trying to insert something that is desirable. Yes. And so often his content, like before you even get to Videodrome, is maybe a little pornographic. It's yep. like pushing the Well, they literally say the softcore pornography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's softcore pornography. It's violence. Yep. You know, just very basic schlock yep. is, is essentially what it is. And there, and he's already getting to the point as a programmer. One of the first things they do is is you see him with his partners watching something potentially that will be programmed. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. watching things that they may want to buy and program. And they're having a conversation about how soft it all seems. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, and it's, it is porn. You know, it's there's boobs on the screen. There's it's porn, but it's soft. This feels soft. This doesn't there's feel like what's going to draw the eyeballs. Something about Oriental sex. Oh is, fuck! What did he uh, say? Is, uh, uh, he said it's it, it's wrong to me or monstrous or something. What did he say? He just says like it's strange. Yeah, like, yeah. It just it seems foreign. Yeah, the, yeah. He says something very dismissive about uh, oh unnatural. That's what he unnatural. Says. Yeah. He says oh, Oriental <laughs> sex is unnatural. But at the same time, too, like that goes to show you. That's that's the mindset of the consumer. Oh, yeah. Would be yeah, it doesn't look like me. Next, right? You know, and so they need to draw something in. Um, when he's pitched the idea of the quote unquote, I, I don't even hate, I hate saying the word, but I'll say it, quote unquote, Oriental uh, softcore pornography. Yes. The guys that are selling it to him, they say, oh, the plot's set up in the first two episodes. He says, well, my viewers aren't going to see that. Show me the last episode. Yep. And that is the you know. We're not worried about that. Yeah. When they're hooked, what are they going to get? Exactly. You know, what is going to be the thing that they see? Yep. And so he discovers Videodrome. Yes. And there's more to Videodrome than just torture programming. Yes. It, uh, he, I think the thing that's so interesting about what Videodrome is when they first introduce it in the movie is 
you know, it's uh, you, we now have more terms for what it is. It's it's S and M. It's bondage. Mm. Uh, it's torture porn. Mm-hmm. Um, snuff TV. They actually use that term in the movie, but that's not until you find more out about it later. Um, what's so interesting about it to me is it's like you're the way they dep- the way James Woods plays Ren is he is both so desensitized by the work that he does that he doesn't seem that interested in it it like it, it he is mostly looking at it as a subject you know as as an object uh, of of potential gains basically yeah can He's, i sell this exactly yeah. uh he he almost doesn't recognize what the content is other than what the what other people might see in the content he doesn't seem to see much in it himself but he's also fascinated by it. He's like drawn to it. He can't take his eyes off it. He keeps saying that. He says, I can't stop watching it. I don't know what it is. I, it doesn't have a plot, but I can't stop watching it. Mm-hmm. I, that is so fascinating to me that they that he specifically chose something like, like bondage porn, basically, to be that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense because it's like we now live in a world where we can get pornography all the time. And mm-hmm. I could see that kind of pornography just as easily. I could see softcore pornography. It's like we the whole spectrum... Is available to well, everybody. If you wanted to now. see a real snuff film, right? It might just come across your feed accidentally. Yeah, that literally has happened. Yeah, and it's just his reaction to when he sees it is great. And this fascinates me: yeah. is how did they make it look so real? Right, because the whole idea that it could be real is foreign to him. Yes, because why would you? You know, why would you film? Why that? would that be on there? But. When I saw it, like even the first time I saw this movie, my first thought wasn't, oh, someone produced fake stuff. It was, oh, he stumbled across a snuff tape. Right. And my modern sensibility just sees it as real. Right. Because we we just, I don't know, it's that twofold thing of like being so connected and having all this information at our fingertips uh, has allowed us to see more of the world and, and, and more... I think we have a wider understanding of like the human experience, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, for instance, I don't think bondage is as looked down upon as it might have been no. previously. I think people are a little more open-minded to things like that. Um, and that's because we're so interconnected. We know I think now there's... it's considered alternative, but not shameful. I- exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because we, we understand there's a much wider breadth of like human experience mm-hmm. now because of that interconnectivity. But then there's also this idea that that interconnectivity has brought those things to a lot more people. And that's a lot of what Videodrome is about too, this reciprocal reciprocal relationship we have with the content mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, there is a little bit of discussion in the movie about um, the way these things are, the way television and what we put on television is affecting the actual culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this, the reality is it's the reciprocal relationship of, of our needs and desires being presented to us and mm-hmm. we say we want it but somebody has to make that too you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. that that con i don't know the movie really does seem to be about this sort of relationship between like where does this content come from and and why why do people want it and why are people making it mm-hmm. right both of those things happen somebody is making it and somebody wants it and you would you would want to say the reason somebody makes it is because somebody wants it but it's snuff tv yeah, yeah. So why does somebody make that? You know what I mean? It's like it's this yeah, fascinating did, kind did of thing. Do we know we wanted it until exactly. we had it? Yeah. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. I used to do a bit about how when I first saw Two Girls, One Cup, oh, yeah. I found it inspiring. <laughs> it was disgusting, yeah. but I found it inspiring because someone wanted this. So a bunch of other people right. got together and made it and for them. And they made it. You know, there was a, there was a lighting assistant. There mm-hmm. was craft services. Right. There was actors and actresses. Whether the shit was real or not, we don't know. We don't care. There was a need that was fulfilled. Yeah. And I'm sure 
there's probably someone out there that saw that and went, oh shit, I'm into that. Right. You know, and so it created that need. Um, and, and at the same time, too, you know, when you see someone die in a video, there was a time in my life where that would ruin my week. Mm-hmm. I saw it twice this week. Live. And you know what? It it was less, it, it, you know, it was, it was effective in that I knew what was going on, but you know, where, whereas it's good that we're connected that now we can see this and talk mm-hmm. about it. It's bad in that I saw it and I had no guttural reaction to the right. fact that I just saw a life go away. Right. You know, there was a time where that would haunt you forever. Mm-hmm. Th- those times are over. Yeah. So the positive is the connectivity allows a, a more informed response, mm-hmm. but the downside is like, we are desensitized. Yeah. It, it is a descent. And so this movie kind of, uh, one of the things that I love about it is it has its cake and eats it too in terms of it is explicitly saying no, 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 rap music doesn't cause violence. Right. Yes, 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 violence, violent culture does promote violence. Right. And I would say that to some extent both of those are right. Right. You know, it is – we, we t- that is constantly the conversation is what does our media facilitate mm-hmm. as well as what does our media create an out- outlet for – so that we don't have to have it. Right. And, you know, it's just, it really just depends on the individual response, I think. I think it does, but that uh, that actually is a good way to connect me to that one line that I loved in this movie where he's talking to the woman that produces other content for him. You know, the older woman that's in it? Yeah. Uh, and they're like out to dinner and he's questioning her about Videodrome. And she says she did some investigation. She found a little more out about it and he should just stop looking into it. And he says, why? What is it? And she says, Max, they have something that you don't. They have a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it dangerous. And that, to me, feels like where Cronenberg is kind of coming down on this. Because he is, he's, you're right. He's, that's the closest to a thesis I'd say there is in it. I think so. Because I think what he's trying to say is like, yeah, this stuff can very much desensitize us, which can be a very bad thing. It can also make us more aware of a lot of stuff, which can be a very good thing and connect us to things we might not have been otherwise. It might also act as an outlet for somebody that has violent tendencies and then doesn't need to enact them, blah, blah, blah. There's all these different ways you can pull and push on that idea. But I think what falls right in the middle of that is that line about things having a philosophy being what's dangerous. Because mm-hmm. uh, what, what, I, what I said to you when we were watching it is, as an example, it's like, well, Kill Bill isn't dangerous. Kill Bill doesn't have a philosophy. Kill Bill is not trying to tell me I should take violent revenge on people that wrong me. That's not mm-hmm. what that movie's about. It's not what it's trying to do for me. Yes, it's violent. People's heads roll, and there's literal fountains of blood in it. It's not trying to, it's, it's not trying to transform me mm-hmm. with that information. However, something that might be dangerous, potentially, is something like the Left Behind movies. They have a real philosophy. They are really about something, and they would like to transform you as a viewer from one mindset to another. Mm-hmm. And that could be dangerous. And so, where, and so I think what he's questioning is, how can we determine what is that content and what isn't? Mm-hmm. I think that's really what the question is, because James Woods, his, his conflict through the whole movie is, what is Videodrome? I don't know what I'm looking at. Is it real or is it fake? Mm-hmm. Does that matter? And I think his answer is, yeah, it really matters. Like, it really, really matters what Videodrome actually is. Well, and I, I think one of the... When he first thinks, like, oh, this is just well-produced fake right. torture, the reaction is, oh, I can sell this. Exactly. But when it's, oh, this is a real snuff film, even his reaction, and he's kind of a slimy guy, yes. even his reaction is, oh, that's that's bigger. Right. That's That's something that is... 
maybe I can't sell this or right. maybe I shouldn't sell this. Right, yeah. You that, know, where, where is that line? It becomes a moral question then. It mm-hmm. becomes a moral quandary for him, which is interesting because, like you said, like he does seem like a sleazeball. He almost seems like a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, a moral box that he, hold, that he puts himself inside of. But when confronted with something like that that is so far outside of our understanding, he really does have to take a second and figure out what it means. Well, and his business up until then is in falsity. It yes. is in producing pretend stuff. Yep. So I don't think he feels the need to feel ethically responsible right. about anything because it's just product. It's all fake. It's product. Just product. Yep. And then when it becomes a philosophy, yeah. it's, oh, shit, I, should, I should really start to consider What responsibility this. do I have now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, but then it gets interesting because by the end of the movie, you find out there's a lot of like manipulation that's been happening over the course of that, and he's mm-hmm. almost like a specifically chosen subject for this. But I don't really know what that means. I mean, I I would I would assume that they chose him because of access, right? I think they chose him because he's malleable, right? Um, an interesting moment is when he first starts sort of dating uh, Nikki Brand. Uh, that was her name, Nick, right? I don't know, but that's funny that her last Brand, name is Brand. Brand was, I think it's Nikki it's Brand. N- Nikki is right. So okay, then, yeah, Brand. Nikki Brand is her yeah. last name. When he starts dating her and she reveals, oh, I like to be cut. Yeah. I like to you know, get poked with needles and right. stuff. And when he first sees the cuts on her neck and his whole thing is like, you fucking, you let someone do that to you? Right. And to him, it's just so like, that's kind of a moment where it becomes real. Yeah. Because when he was just fucking her because she was hot and, right. oh, sweet, we're both going to have a good time and that's whatever. It was it was product. Yeah, it was just I'm gonna get some. She's hot, you yeah. know. She's into me. Cool. Mm-hmm. When it became like, oh, this is uh, this is potentially real. She likes, she, she has desires that right. go beyond my understanding of it. It becomes real, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it tweaks him a little bit. It, yeah, it, you know, it does this little tweak on him, and so I think that's a moment where it shows how, because because he's he's put off by it, mm-hmm. but then his response is, okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm open. okay. Let's let's try this. Mm-hmm. Let's let's see. And even at that moment, it starts to feel like he's going. Let's try this. This is still. I, I could sell this on myself. This is this right. is kind of one of those things. And I think maybe that's why they chose him. Yeah, is because he was very. He was already so desensitized mm-hmm. that to make it real, there's less of a resistance. Right. He's not a Doctor Oblivion who took Videodrome and and created a philosophy based around it mm-hmm. for his own. You know, this is just. All right, I'll go with it. I'll see what, right. I'll see what we can do because he's desensitized. Yeah. Whereas uh, Brian Oblivion, I love saying that That's name. so funny. He was decidedly less desensitized mm-hmm. and, and saw the weight of it right away. Yeah. And Well, you just said something interesting too, which is that Oblivion himself has a philosophy throughout it. Mm-hmm. And by the time he... It destroyed him. Mo- right. Well, and by the time, he, by the time Woods uh, moves from being... Uh, Videodrome to being the new flesh. I keep saying it that way. I don't really know how else to state that. I think that, that actually captures what R- you're trying right, to go for. I get yeah, what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. So when he moves from Videodrome to the new flesh, technically the new flesh, I think, would be Oblivion's philosophy then, right? And so it does come back to that question of, well, then Oblivion does have a philosophy. So does that make him dangerous too? Mm. Is what he was doing also dangerous? Is, is well, it's like what you said at the beginning. Yes and no. Right, exactly. You know, like, it is dangerous, but it's yeah. not. But it right. is. Yeah. You know, it is. Because his idea is, well, it, fascinatingly enough, is another very prescient thing, which is we should be recording ourselves. Mm. We should make sure we get as much information about ourselves recorded as possible because we can then live on outside of the flesh. Video mm-hmm. is the new flesh for him. Uh, which, hey, welcome to Facebook where nobody dies anymore. People mm-hmm. die, but they're... They still live on. I invite at least five dead people to every event <laughs> that I that I set up, and not because I I want to. It's right. just click 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 yep. click click click. 
Oh yeah, he's not he's not gonna show up. <laughs> he he done he done been dead. Yeah. Well, but, and it's the question we always ask too, like in the the pornography conversation, mm-hmm. is if we can constantly explore and just dig deeper and deeper, further right. into these desires, and see more and more stuff, and start to get dull to the blander stuff, you know, how deep does that dig? And and I wrote down this the question, you know, are we numb? Is pain the only natural extension of exhausted pleasure? Right. And I think that that's another thing. Whereas this guy, he is a he's sold so much product of mm-hmm. just schlock mm-hmm. that he's exhausted pleasure. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Right. You know, what is that next step? Is it pain? Is yeah. it getting cut up? Is it watching literal torture? Right. I, I do think that that's why he specifically chose. That's why I, th- I was so fascinated by that choice of, of essentially what is bondage. Like, mm. that is such a fascinating choice for this because I, I think you're right. It is, it's definitely asking the question are we desensitized? Mm-hmm. And it's specifically asking the question are we desensitized due to basically too much pleasure? Mm-hmm. Have we over pleasured ourselves? Well, and the general theory is that is. The generally accepted theory, of course, this is something that can never be uh, fully proven. Right, is it's that hard to fetishization quantify. comes from uh, I've done it all. Yeah, give me something new. Yep, give me something I haven't done before. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. you know, and it's, yeah, it's just that. It's uh, yeah. So it's ah, what a fascinating choice. And and you know, Cronenberg has always kind of worked in it's it's body horror generally, and it's a, it's about flesh always. And so it's interesting that he also chose something sexual for that as mm-hmm. well. Uh, that always seems to play into what he's doing. Especially, I mean, by the time you get to the end, there's all this like vaginal imagery and, and uh, a lot of guns, which are very phallic, going in and out of <laughs> stomach oh, yeah. vaginas. Uh, it's it- even at the very beginning. We one of the early shots is of this, you know, of this satellite dish that is big, hard, erect, and shooting up yep. into the sky, just trying to find, literally, just trying to content. point at at content and stimulation to draw mm-hmm. in. That's, I mean, that's just Cronenberg top to bottom. He's yep. always, I mean, Existence is literally about a oh, yeah. video game that you finger fuck to play. Yeah. yeah and, and But it, you know, that video games are an extension of seeking pleasure. Yep. You know, where do we, where is that line? Yeah. Well, and I was thinking too that through the first like half of the movie, if you actually paid attention, every scene, there was no connective tissue. It was just Woods is either at work or he's at home having sex with that with uh, uh, Nikki. Mm-hmm. Work, sex, work, sex, work, sex. Well, and in between is coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, he's just going, 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 yep. going. Over, got to find over that thing. And over and over that same process over and over again, and so you start it becomes that desensi- desensitization. I couldn't think suddenly that yeah, word yeah. couldn't <laughs> come out of my mouth. Uh, it becomes that desensitizing thing, and it becomes a question of: Are you are where where do you find time for pleasure, and what does pleasure look like when like, is that pleasurable anymore? Like, you, you basically, you work all the time, so you try and balance it out with the pleasure of sex, but then that becomes a cycle where that repetition becomes work in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Well, now what does pleasure look like? Where do you go now? Where, where, what's the next left turn you have to take to, to find pleasure somewhere? And the movie seems to be asking, seems to be saying violence uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, even, even now, I was talking about the two-screen experience. Yeah. That's standard for so much TV now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, just, Least objectionable programming. Uh-huh. Turn on the TV, zone out in front of the tube for a while. Oh, yeah. It's what you did to relax. Now, like, when I'm watching Game of Thrones on my iPad, mm-hmm. HBO Go, if you turn it sideways, the screen moves up to the top half and you watch the show. And on the bottom half, there's character maps, mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. maps, family histories, mm-hmm. and all this stuff mm-hmm. that you can click around with while you watch the show. Because this intensely well-produced and intensely active watching show isn't enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. And that is a very, very dense show thematically. Just even the list of characters right. you have to follow. But just watching that, 
boring. Yeah. Give me more. I want to poke and prod at mm-hmm. it. I want to be active. I want I want to be part of it. Yeah. You know, I need to bond with it. That's wild. It's crazy. And it it stem it stems from I I, I done seen TV. Mm-hmm. It, I'm o- I'm over it. Yeah. Give me more. Yeah. Give me something new. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's creepy. I was thinking about I, I've been playing GTA Five. Oh, uh, okay. and it's great. Uh, but what's fascinating about it is like those games are to the point where they're just every video game that's ever been made wrapped up in one video game experience. Mm-hmm. That game, those games are to the point where literally one of the things you can do if you want is play tennis mm-hmm. because you can get bored with robbing mm-hmm. banks and, fucking and stealing cars <laughs> and fucking hookers in a video game. So there's got to be something else to do. I guess I'll fake play tennis. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's crazy. But I that's what stole it, that plane. Exactly, that's what it is. I'm it's, tired of fucking hookers paying them and then killing them to get the money back. Yeah, you can get. I've gotten tired of doing that in that game. Yes, and it's so they insane. give you tennis to play. But it's like my point is, it's like because yeah, you can exhaust any pleasurable experience, and so there has to be something else. There has to be something mm-hmm. more. I have to be able to stop stealing cars and go play fucking tennis just to like I don't know switch gears to you know move on from Videodrome to the new Poor flesh and back again. It. More yeah. hot sauce on it. Keep yeah. eating. Yep. More hot sauce. Keep yep. eating. Yep. It's insane. More ranch. For yeah. Me. There and uh, one of the things I, I wrote down this line that I thought was really funny uh, when they talked about uh, and and this ended up being prescient and I don't think it meant to be uh, referring to Brian Oblivion where he said I want to have a conversation with him uh-huh. and his daughter says well you know well I'll tell him what you said and he, he might send you a tape because quote unquote the monologue is his preferred mode of discourse dude that is facebook that is facebook god the worst thing you can do to anyone today is challenge their opinion yep it, it's the worst thing you can do cuz you're opening up you're opening up a can of shut up mm-hmm. and we don't we don't want to have that conversation no. we're all guilty of it it, it just happens mm-hmm. Because the monologue is the preferred mode of discourse. Yep. Agree with me or get out of the way. Get out. And that's a product of the way that we have stifled communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Through um, opening up so many more channels exactly. of communication. Well, that's, that's the cost of more yep. channels is we have to stifle the intensity of it. Yep. And th- that's why I just thought that was that's one of those lines. That's that so funny, yeah. There's no way they could have predicted right. Facebook. And just by sheer chance that lined up. But that is spot the fuck on. Yeah. It's the whole movie was full of stuff like that where I was like I Cronenberg is either like a really true mad genius wizard or he hap- by just asking the question what does all of this content and new media mean by the way in 1983 he's yeah. asking that question by just asking that question as a as a talented artist, is he hitting upon things that just become pre- you know that are prescient, even though he's not intending to? The best sci-fi does it. Yep. Um, they always you know Philip K. Dick. Every story hits on yeah. something where you're like, oh, I have that. Right. I own that. I yep. have that app. Yeah. You know, like whatever. And this is just another example of a guy who just you could tell he just said, oh, people don't know. Like in the '80s, we went from. There's three channels, and we all watch the same three shows. Mm-hmm. To we've got cable. Yep. There's a lot of different channels. There's a lot. Of, we can choose what we watch. We're not to the point where we can choose when yet, but you know we can choose what media we consume. Mm-hmm. We can filter out the media we don't like. We can overdose on the media that we do like, and mm-hmm. we've really gone, you know, to an extreme now. But I think that was the exploration. Was he looked at that and said, okay, here's this thing that is a tool. Yep. That, you know, like fire, it can light the way, it can burn it down. Mm-hmm. You know, TV is a tool. I've watched so many things that have, that have 
you know that that I've learned from. Mm-hmm. I also spend about an hour a week watching fail videos. Right. You yeah. know, it's it can be used either way, and so I think he just saw that and said, "Let's extrapolate." Yeah. And exactly. by nature, it became prescient because. Of course that technology develops like that. Exactly. Of course it goes in that direction. It's almost like his understanding of, of, of uh, I was going to say humanity, but that's like not quite the word I'm looking for, but like his understanding of human nature mm-hmm. um, allowed him to extrapolate in a way that became predictive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not that he actually knew what technology would come next or how technology would evolve. What he did know was... Uh, I think he had his thumb on the pulse of how humans have always reacted exactly. to technology. Like yeah. he, what he did know was how humans will use whatever technology they're presented with mm-hmm. and how they will attempt to develop it for further, like what kinds of further advancements they'll want out of it because they're humans, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, which is fascinating. Like the well, a companion piece film to it would be something like her. Yes. Um, in her, this is a future where all of the technology seems kind of cartoonish, mm-hmm. but it's all based on exactly that. Um, everything in that movie, you know, uh, handwritten letters that are handwritten by someone else that you order <laughs> for, from beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. <laughs> that, I could see that happening. Oh, five that years from now, that's like going to be a real very, service. Very, I mean, there's probably services that are pretty close to it yeah. now conceptually. It just feels like one of those things where I, I keep seeing the reflection of your laptop Apple in my phone and <laughs> thinking my phone's restarting. It's freaking me out, which is crazy that I'm that aware of my exactly. phone right now. But, uh, you know, something like her, you go, oh, this seems like the natural progression of technology. Right. And so they, they looked further ahead after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so it's just another example. I think he was doing precisely that. Yeah. And you know, just seeing what humans do and taking, run, you know, running with it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, putting vaginas on their stomachs in the process. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, we- There's an old SNL commercial about this new car that has a hole you can fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because that's the next thing. Like, yep. we want, we would fuck, people would fuck their car if mm-hmm. they could. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, some people do. <laughs> some people do, yeah. Uh, uh, autophiles, I just made that up. But, uh, uh, I believe it's called mechophilia. Really? So it is a thing. Oh, oh there is shit. a whole Vice documentary about it, and it is fascinating and worth watching. You get to listen to a man talk about how he loves fucking his helicopter. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I don't think I can stomach that. <laughs> really? That's crazy. It's great. That's crazy. Yeah. I was watching that. Uh, I saw that movie Tickled. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. I haven't seen it, and I don't know much about it, and I'm trying not to so I can go in fresh. Okay. It's Honestly, it doesn't go anywhere where you wouldn't expect. Oh, okay. It's right. not as shocking or as deep As people digging. are making it out to be. But that said, the fact that there is a market out there for videos where people are being tickled is like, I get why that exists. But if I never see another tickling video, and I'm a very ticklish person, if I never see another one, it'll be too fucking soon. (laughs) Because it's a cool movie. It's it's very worth watching. And it's very interesting. And it, it actually does kind of tie into this as in... How does a tickling fetish develop? Right, right. Well, it's just the next thing. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it, it's, I'm like skeeving out just thinking yeah. about it. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I could watch some guy talking about fucking a helicopter because <laughs> I saw at least four tickle videos. Yeah. And as dark and twisted as that doc gets, yeah. just the depiction of the videos, I was like, all right, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not judging. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's what, uh, right? That's the fascinating new world that we are actually living in to, to kind of go back to your first question, which was, do you think this is predictive or do or not? I think it is predictive, but I also don't necessarily feel like I am living as like a zombie, mm-hmm. which seems to be 
what this movie is it that's the concern this movie is about it's oh, not yeah. necessarily what this movie thinks will happen but it's the concern the movie's about i would say my social consideration has gone through the roof yes uh my mindset has been altered in positive ways mm-hmm. in just terms of i see more viewpoints yeah you know things that that i could you know 30 years ago i would have grown up without yep and i would be a different and probably inferior person as a result right but how many super close friends do I have? Right. No, no more than I would have otherwise. Right. What sacrifice? And also, what sacrifices have we made for that? Uh, yeah. That cultural growth, you know. Um. Uh, basically, you know, and I think that maybe that's one of those almost like laws of physics things where it's mm-hmm. like, well, as we gain more positive cultural awareness, something else has to be be lost. Well, something it else has to be forgiven. Brings into user error. Yeah. You know, we just have to weigh it. Yeah. You know, the same thing with TV. Like, if I spend all day watching fail videos, that's probably a problem. Right, right. But I also, I watch a lot of great documentaries. Yeah. I have discourse with people that that enlightens me to new perspectives. Uh So it's just a matter of weighing that. You know, you have to, TV can be a boob tube. Yeah. It can be a very, very powerful tool. I mean, in in an election year, we are constantly being shaped and molded and softly told how to think. Mm -hmm. And for some people, all they need is a commercial. For other people, they have to weigh it out and consider it a mm-hmm. little bit more. And it goes to show you, like, that is a powerful tool. How do you wield it? Yeah. You know, and, and how do you respond to it? Yes. And so yeah, it does, yeah. you know, as with anything, uh, in my opinion, it always boils down to personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You know, how yeah. can you, you know, what can you do with the power you have? Yeah. Um, and I, uh, 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 to, uh, hold on, I, ha- I had a, a really good uh, thought on the train there, and it, it, it just left the tracks. What am I saying? <laughs> uh, Did you hear that metaphor that just came out yeah, of my mouth? Yeah. That was like a weird thing. The train derailed. Yeah, my brain just like went into uh, metaphor mode. Um, well, we were talking about just how you know the the power of television and how media can can shape us and control us, but there is that trade of right the you know, uh, the balance, the trading off of like what we gain. Oh, because you said this is what I want to say. You said a really interesting thing just a minute ago where you were like, "Hey, I'm not judging it, but uh, you know that skews me out." That is, a, I think, one of these sort of like positive products Absolutely. of all of this technology and the internet connectivity uh, is, you know, uh, yes, my reaction to some of those things is still sometimes like, yeah, you know, uh, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's not. I don't know necessarily. What well, if I, I'm not wired that way, I'm not wired that right. way. But, but what I do know... If I was, it wouldn't be wrong. Right, exactly. What I do know now and is good to know, I think, and is hopefully pointing us into a, a, a better, brighter future, uh, is that um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's undoubtedly pointing us to a better, right. brighter future. Uh, I mean, there was a time where it was just, oh, you're gay? Wrong. Right. And now we realize, oh, no, you're just normal. Right. You know, we just didn't hear about you before because it was deemed wrong. Right. You know, and so that's the positive thing of yeah. media. The downside of all this connectivity is that when people are still hateful, you see it. It's out there. they got it's a platform. Pl- so there's that trade. Yep. But it's a trade that I think is worth making. I think so too. You know, and then how do you wield that response? Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, you know, I've grown to to accept folks that are different from me. Yeah. But I also have this platform in which I can have discourse with the people that I agree with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, avoiding monologue is my thing, and yeah. you know, potentially help to to elevate and learn. You know, to elevate your enemies. You know, potentially oh, turn yeah. them into friends. Mm-hmm. The, which is uh, uh, there's a, that whole interesting thing at the end of the movie. Where he is, sorry, there was a loud crash just <laughs> in my house now that I feel like I need to go investigate. Oh, oh the crash is talking. Whew. All right. 
Fantastic. Uh, back on track. Uh, the uh, uh, what was I saying? We're talking about just the the trade off again. Yeah, we were talking about the trade off. Oh man, hold on. I had a I had a I had well, a having the discussion, elevating people who think different from you yes. to your side is one of the benefits of technology. Oh yes, because at the end of the movie, you have uh, these interesting shots where he uh, James Woods's character ultimately ends up having to attack himself mm-hmm. to go through further progression. He has to literally shed his old flesh to live in the new flesh. Mm-hmm. He there's a scene where he. Uh, uh, a hand that looks suspiciously like his own hand comes out of the TV he's watching and shoots him in the chest. And upon waking from being shot by himself, essentially, uh, he that's when he says, uh, death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Mm-hmm. He, he literally has to uh, uh, basically bring some things to the altar and, and burn them in order to continue developing and evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, as a person, which is something that this technology is allowing us to do. It's allowing oh, us to uh, take things like racism and hopefully put them behind us and, and look towards a future where things like that actually die and mm-hmm. we can live in the new flesh where the color of that flesh doesn't matter. You know? Um, I, some, I mean, when I, whenever my, uh, my brain opens up to a new level of, of social discourse, one of the hardest things about it is shedding an old belief I had. Yeah, because yes. one of the hardest things in the world to do is go, oh, you know what? I, I was, was wrong. wrong. And it's very, very hard. And it's very easy to not do that when you're using monologue. Yep. But at the same time, you know, when you burn that old thing, there is growth to be had. Yeah. You know, uh, even when he once he becomes, quote unquote, an assassin for Videodrome, mm-hmm. one of the the daughter of one of the progenitors of Videodrome says, well, now that you have all of these tools, don't use it to work for Videodrome. Right. Use it to destroy Videodrome, right? And uh, to go up against Videodrome, right? And so, you know, that's that is. Uh, I mean, I I don't want to get too on the nose because it's it's an emotional week for a lot of stuff yes, like that. Yeah, yeah. But social media has played a very prominent thing, and it's gone on on both ends of the spectrum to a point of of uh, enlightenment as well as toxicity. Mm-hmm. And the the whole idea is there's this powerful tool at the center of it. Mm-hmm. You have to use it to to fight the power, but not right. you know. But the, then the question is, when you're running around, you know, with 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 the fire, you're gonna light the room, you're gonna burn it down. Right. It's always a tough thing. Yeah. Um. Techn- and uh, you know, when it comes to technology, the first piece of technology in that sense would be something like fire. Mm-hmm. It is one of the greatest discoveries. It has probably helped humanity more than many many things. It has also caused a lot of damage, Ooh. a lot of pain. You know, uh, literally pre-technology as we understand it, it was literally the most helpful and most dangerous thing that existed on the planet. Yep. I mean, we see it with the gun argument. Yeah. Guns, I mean, I'm not a fan generally. No, me neither. But, uh, you know, when it came to, like, there was a time where it's like, when you got to go out and hunt, that's a great piece of technology. Yep. When you got to go out and shut people up that you don't like, it's a dangerous piece of technology. You know, and so it's... It's one of those things where you know you got to weigh that. Where mm-hmm. how do we wield this power? Mm-hmm. It seems now we're kind of wielding in the wrong direction, yeah. but you yeah. know that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But it's 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 exactly that. You know what do we do? Is the internet going to be something that connects us? Right. Or is it going to be something that puts child porn in a pedophile's lap? Right. Exactly. You know, like wh- what is it? How it's do both we, of those it, things. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. What is it? Uh, yeah. That's so funny that that is ultimately 
we keep coming back to that question of of that's James Woods's moral quandary the whole time is what is Videodrome? Yep. I need to know what it is because I need to know basically what box I have to put it in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is so fascinating. Yeah, I can I can build a house with nails. Right. I can crucify someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a nail. Yeah. But what do we do? Yes. What do we do with it? And I think that's that probably is the question that the whole movie is asking. Who is using it and how? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. it right. Really that's, is, yeah. that's what it's about is who is using this and how. Because it yes, you are right to be afraid of this. It could be very dangerous. It could also be an extremely useful, helpful tool for our futures. Mm-hmm. Who has it? And how are they using it? And I and I think that line about something having a philosophy being dangerous is is Cronenberg begging us to just ask that question. Yeah, just absolutely. ask the question. Yeah, because if someone says I believe that TV is used to control people, right? Well, then you you done and said it. Right. You know, like that's then that's what it's going to be used for. Right. But you know, I I believe, but conversely saying i believe tv should be used to educate right well i just lost all my fail videos right yeah, you know? yeah. and so it's it's that line of just you know i believe that tv is a powerful thing mm-hmm. and i choose to use it to educate and entertain myself yes and you know like this right right yeah i think that's that's i think that's what it is he's mm-hmm. he's demanding that we just ask that we just pay attention and go who's presenting this to me who who is decided what this content is and why are they delivering it to me how are they delivering it to me he's i think he's just begging us to like really pay attention you yep. know what i mean and not end up in a they live scenario how delightfully canadian of him right you know like in america like honestly if we think about just this movie i feel like the exploration in america would just be a guy going up against super powerful video drew <laughs> right you know right, it would right. just be the capitalist mindset yeah. of the evil thing grows let's destroy it right which you know could be a great movie sure. but it's a different mentality yeah no i uh not to put all canadians in a box i don't want to <laughs> undercut everything uh, everything that i said uh i uh i uh, what's so interesting is uh this is one of the first movies we've done like i had seen this like 5 or 6 years ago uh and really enjoyed it but i think i i more enjoyed it for some of the things we haven't talked about like the really weird effect sequences in it that are so effective yeah let's let's talk about the the technique of this movie yeah. because i think we cracked into the, the I, I think we did and actually to just finish my thought there i think that that is what's so interesting about this movie is it took me having this conversation to even have a really good, complete thought about it. Mm. It, it is that kind of movie that burrows itself in you, but it's hard to make a lot of sense of without being able to bounce those ideas off of somebody else, which is literally what the movie is asking you to do. Yep. Uh, which is so interesting. That's really cool. I think if someone didn't like this movie, it would just be through the rejection of like, eh, and I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's pretentious or what you know, whatever right. it may be, which probably isn't wrong. There's some pretension no, yeah. there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you you do have to sit back and consider it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a movie that you leave buzzing like yeah, right. It's a movie that you leave like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, let's yeah. figure this out. It has to be considered, yep. which is what that's literally what he's demanding of us as an audience. Like, yes, all of this has to be considered. Mm-hmm. That's I love that. That's great. The power of cinema. Yeah. I mean, you can make a snuff film, mm-hmm. or you can make Schindler's List. Right. You know, right. and it's it's the it's two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. but one of them is used to you know, to entertain and, and educate. Mm-hmm. The other one is just thrill kill, you know, like yeah. and it's, it's, it's dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. It's so cool. Uh, but yeah, so to circle back then on what I just said, I mean, the th- I think the thing that I came away with years ago when I saw it for the first time was just like how this movie was made. There's something very unique about this era of Cronenberg movies that I 
can't think of other movies that even look or feel like them. Uh, they're they're very um, um, sweaty and grimy and and very physical. They're fleshy, fleshy. Yeah. That's actually a great term for it. Uh, the fly is the same way. Uh, the brood is the same way. They're very fleshy. Uh, they're very Canadian. Uh, all of these movies, uh, but they they um, they he also does these really interesting practical effects sequences where I think he is kind of uniquely capable of using you know famous effects artists. Uh, in tandem with his visual style to make some really, really effective choices. All of the scenes where he's interacting with televisions in this are phenomenal, especially when the TVs are, like, morphing and transforming before his eyes. Like, when that hand comes out of the TV, Uh, and you can see all of the, the snow on the TV still as... the the screen, like, transforms around his fingers. I don't even know how they did that. I assume it was like a like maybe like a sheet that had a it looked projection like a projection yeah. on it. But well, that's all Rick Baker too. I yeah, mean, Rick Baker is of the fleshy school of special effects <laughs> right, too. Yeah. I mean, his stuff is, I guess, gruesome is the word. Uh-huh. You know, it's gruesome and it's it's, it's uh, gnarly. There, well, there, the one shot where the gun is bonding with his hand. Yeah, it's very clearly like a static. You know, it's it's very clearly you yeah, know yeah, a fake hand, yeah. but there's a machine in it that has the hand yeah. pulsing, and nobody can see what I'm gesturing right now because <laughs> this is a podcast. Yeah. But there's there's definitely like a machine there's some element mechanic to it. inside that exactly, is, exactly. Yeah, it's making the skin pulsate and the muscles kind of move, and so you do buy the reality of like that's a hand that's just fucking itself, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, uh, Even the TV gets veiny. Yes. You know, everything gets fleshy. The the uh, the videotape breathes. Yes. Um, watch out! It bites. He says. Yeah, uh, you know, it, bites. Uh, it, it breathes. It pulses. The last tape that gets handed to him is literally made of flesh. At that point, mm-hmm. it's it just looks like a bleeding fleshy piece of toast. Um, uh, the, <laughs> just ruined toast for me. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the TV screen at one point changes from the snowy kind of thing to flesh. Mm-hmm. It just turns into flesh at one point. Um, yeah, uh, but the, all those effects are like they're all in camera, and and I don't know how to describe it, but they they look more real than effects like well, this. Like what we talked do. about it looks like kind of like the thing where yeah, it's yeah. like one of the cool things about hard sci-fi like that is. You don't need to make it look real right. because it's not real. Right. Um, a, a stomach vagina might look like that. I ain't never right, seen one. Right, yeah. So, it, you know, why Why would it have to look any way? You know, like a, a former guest, Dave Teruso. Yes. We were talking about writing, and I said I was having trouble with this one story I was working on. And I said, ah, I can't really figure out the science behind it. And he said, well, you don't, you don't have to. It's not real. Yeah. It's your world. Make your own science. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. And I think that applies to these effects. Like... I've never seen a gun bond with a hand because that doesn't happen. Right. So who am I to say what it does and doesn't look like? Exactly. So you can sell me on that. Yeah. But because it's in camera, I'm sold. I'm so sold. Yeah. I mean, there are at least three shots I can think of in this movie that I, I am surprised are practical. Mm-hmm. I, and I know they are because uh, it was made in 1983. They're definitely practical shots. It's fucking Rick Baker. They're it's practical. They are that effective. You know what I mean? It, it, and that is very impressive. I The more... Movies I watch, the more I realize, you know, even practical effects don't look that real. You just, they, the, I buy them more because they're at least happening in camera. Mm-hmm. But there was this period right here, like in the mid 80s, where really good practical effects really looked pretty fucking real. Like yeah. it was really impressive. And it was only a brief window that that happened in. But it, I mean, 
I, I love that stuff. That's like my favorite stuff. Uh, and you're right. The thing is like the calling card for that kind oh, yeah. of thing. I think. Well, I, all those remakes. I mean, even the fly, yeah, the, the blob, fly the yep. blob has some really oh, horrifying yeah. stuff yes. in it. And you know, it, we we always talk about this. How this was when like to use computers. That's just too expensive. Yes. So let's just build it. Mm-hmm. It's and, and it's funny too because there's the line in the movie where he's talking about the snuff film. Oh yeah. Where he's like, why would anyone actually film each other? You know, film people killing each other. Wouldn't it it's, be It would be so easy and cheap to to yeah. just fake it. Yeah. And it's like. what? I mean, honestly, it's probably easier and cheaper to just kill somebody. But <laughs> yes. you know, the 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 ethical toll is a high price to pay. Yeah. But you know, it's it's exactly that. It's it was just cheaper, mm-hmm. so you could spend the money to just work it up as best you could. Yeah. You know, now it's like it's much more expensive. Do I really need to hire a guy to mop up the blood when I can just put it in and post? Yeah, right. But, but I mean, for real, no, that's, that's right, like that's totally what they got to do. What if you miss a shot? You got to clean that whole set that you just bloodied up and yep. start again. What if the machine breaks? Yep. I just burnt film. Yep. Got to do it again. Got to yep. do it again. So it's like these things all have to, if I saw it in the room, it has to look real for me because the camera just has to look at it and film it. Right. You know, yeah. it can't be done in post. Yeah. There's really nothing in post here, just editing. No, I know, it, which is fascinating when you see at least two or three of these sequences. It's, it is really impressive stuff. It looks good. And the movie does not look that expensive, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that, too, is to, to credit Cronenberg. There's a lot of... Uh, like there's one part where uh, uh, the guy puts the tape into his stomach vagina, yeah, yeah, and then you know you see the him inserting it in there, mm-hmm. and then we cut and it's just them from shoulders up, him pulling his hand out, yes, and it's like yeah, that we don't need to have him pulling his hand nope. out, like you suggested it there, mm-hmm. and that is just strong filmmaking language to cover up those lapses, yeah, you know I don't need to see it because it's it's there. You can hide anything that would give that away as an explicit special effect. By just you don't have to show it. Yeah, especially when you have a like a cast like he does. Like James Woods is doing so much work with his face. I don't need to see the tape come out of his stomach vagina to to know that that's what's happening because I can read it on his face yep. that that's what's being done to him. You know, um, uh, which is credit to Cronenberg. He's always had like a his casting choices are always like very very interesting. They're uh, but they are always like the just the best choice. Oh yeah. Um they're never choices that other filmmakers would make, but they're always the best choice. He's it's, I mean he's uh even with like later when he did the the rock block double mm-hmm. feature of a history of violence and eastern promises, mm-hmm. you could tell he was just like, "Oh, I like working with Viggo Mortensen." And um um a dangerous method. Yes. He likes working with Viggo Mortensen. Yep. He's just he's on, you know, yep. and so he knows how to work him. Yeah. And and, the, and I mean that nobody could have played this the way James Woods did. No. Nobody could be the fly besides Je- I almost called Jeff him Goldblum. Ian Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Chef Goldblum. <laughs> Watch out for the butter. It'll get you. Um, that's from Tim and Eric, but it's the whole thing. <laughs> Chef Goldblum, you ever see that? No. Uh, Chef Goldblum sells to you. It, it's just Jeff Goldblum, but he calls Goldblum. himself Chef Goldblum. Yeah. Just why? I, yeah. Because. And he sells a, a like the ultimate movie theater chair, uh-huh. but it has like a butter dispenser, but it has like scalding butter. <laughs> He's like, and it's got these scalding butter. Ooh, watch out. It'll get you. It'll get you. Ooh, it'll burn you. It'll get you. <laughs> it's so stupid. Chef Goldblum. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. And he's not in this movie. No. Uh, but yeah. But I, to even, even someone like Debbie Harry, she's yeah. perfect for it. Oh, she's amazing in this. Really, really strong performance. And if it was somebody that was, you know, a name face actress, you know, not that she's not, right. but she's not an actress as, as at this point, she right. was Blondie. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a strong choice of picking someone who fits the tone. Totally. Uh, like, the, what's so interesting about her and her character is we get introduced to her, and then literally the next scene, 
She's like, hey, can you put some pornography on? That's what turns me on. Pour me a drink. That is a weird position to put a woman in in a movie, but I buy that that is the woman she is. Oh, yeah. And that these are all her choices uh, and that she's making them confidently herself. Like, I really, something about her performance, like, I really buy this character and this woman. And we find out later, of course, that she's sort of planted into Mm -hmm. it, but it doesn't seem like, like, you do have the notion of like, oh, that's happening fast, but it doesn't feel like, oh, that's happening fast because the script needs it to. Right. You know, it, it does feel... As if it's working. Yeah, it feels like it's motivated by her character. Yeah. Uh, and that is all credit to her because really that's not in the script. It, it does just she jump. She have much from, to say. Right. It just jumps from them meeting to them being in bed together, essentially. Um, but she sells it. Like, she really, really sells it. You buy into that. Uh, and that is a She's very so impressive hot. thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> she is. I, I've, I've had a thing for Blondie. Long, long-time Blondie my, crush. My, I mean, I've loved the, that band yeah. since I was old enough to like music. But uh-huh. she's just the best. Yeah. She's 71. She's like one of those, like a, like a Helen Mirren. Yes. Who's just, you, you are just, you're just perfect yep. all the time. Yep. Oh, love her. Mm. Love Debbie Harry. You just Even brought. though she has a heart of glass, it's a, <laughs> that's a good song. It is a great, great baseline. Yeah, but uh, no, and it's it, she is good casting. Um, mm-hmm. She's great. Uh, on top of that, uh, you know, Rick Baker special effects. Cronenberg yep. knows how to frame it. The score is Howard Shore. Oh, I know. Who went on to do like Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. stuff, which I think is an interesting duality to this. In that Peter Jackson is a very very Cronenbergian oh, yeah. filmmaker, or was at one point. Yep. I think he's faded now, or at least his pursuit of mastering the technology yeah. has exceeded. He's, he pulled a, a Zemeckis where he's yeah. pushing the technology that he's just trying to get the artistry to match. He'll get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think he did generally with the Lord of the Rings, Lost in the Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zemeckis nailed it at, at that the Skywalk in the Walk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, high art meets technology. Yeah. That is an elevation beyond it. There. I lament anyone who did not see that in IMAX 3D. It's, it's insane. Yeah. But uh, he was a very Cronenbergian filmmaker. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see that relationship with him and Howard Shore. Howard Shore's scores, I don't really have a sense of what they are generally. Right. Um, I couldn't place it. Like, if I, oh, that's John yeah, Williams. Oh, that's yeah. Danny Elfman. But one of the things that I liked about this score is that it isn't digital, but it feels digital in the way that 80s movies' understandings of computers are. <laughs> yeah. So it has that, but it also feels schlocky and exploitative. Oh, it yeah. feels kind of grimy. Mm-hmm. But it's not... I, like, I couldn't isolate a lick from it because it's not oppressive. Yeah. But I imagine if it was not there, the absence would be absolutely felt because it would feel empty. Yeah. There's a... There's a a cold warmth to it, if for for lack of a better term, it's that totally makes sense. I, I saw the brood for the first time like last did, year. Did I he think. do the brood? He did do the brood, and I, if I remember right, I looked it up afterwards because when I saw his name come up in the credits, I was like, "Whoa, he scored this movie!" And I think the brood was like his first movie. So Cronenberg is actually who, not that Cronenberg gave him that job necessarily, but his career started with Cronenberg, uh, which is kind of fascinating to me because Cronenberg is certainly a well-respected filmmaker. But I would say he's maybe not as famous as Howard Shore has become as a composer. Uh, I would I would say maybe Howard Shore has exceeded what uh, uh, Cronenberg uh, has, uh, or at least maybe reputation-wise, uh, uh, publicly or, or something like that. I don't know exactly how to describe. What I would I'm say Howard Shore definitely has like an air of class associated right. with him, whereas Cronenberg. It- isn't always will be a niche filmmaker. Yeah, like a schlocky kind of, yeah. yeah. Although he did he did do Naked Lunch, which is right. <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do. Yeah, the I, Brood is his second movie. Okay. His first movie is called I Miss You, Hugs and Kisses. Okay. By Murray Markowitz. All right. 
Uh, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, his career definitely got started with Cronenberg. And it's interesting because the score to The Brood is very different from the score in this movie. Uh, but your comment about uh, cold warmth is a very accurate description of what he did in The Brood as well. And, and what he did in After Hours, the Scorsese film. Oh, shit, yeah. I'm looking at that now. After Hours is, is it might be my favorite Scorsese film. Oh, yeah? Love it. I haven't After seen that Hours one yet. After Hours is great. It's yeah. very simple, but it's the same kind of thing. The way that Toronto is this place that's just kind of you know, cold and gloomy. Yeah. Uh, that's how it frames New York. It's Interesting. Just, we talked about it with, um, with, uh, with Gorin uh, oh, yes. last time mm-hmm. was just that New York. Yeah. It's a New York that when you get to Jason make, takes Manhattan, <laughs> that you will see, um, it's the New York of the first Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. It yep. is, it is that New York, yep. just bland gray metropolis. Oh, yeah. And that is captured in after hours. And it's the same thing where the bar feels cozy, but you know it's because outside is not so cozy. Right, it, like right. It has that cold warmth to it. Interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, I, d- I really liked the score in this, too. Um, <laughs> he did big. It, 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 I think the score is actually pretty understated in this, though. I, I, I Shore is usually a little bigger, I think, which is kind of interesting. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Another one. That is a movie that at points can be very cozy and then suddenly you're you're at two arms length because you're like oh shit something's going to bite right. me you yeah know? yeah he is pretty good at that he, he he's one of the composers that um i think people have gotten oddly critical of recently of that whole thing where like well the music's telling me how to feel yeah yeah um that's he's, the point yeah that's yeah i mean it, it should be helping you yes feel. exactly uh i think he's one of the the greats at that uh he he has always had a, a a knack for sort of sweeping you into the frenzy that the the next frame is about to reveal, you know? Oh, he did... This is actually an interesting one. He did Ed Wood. Oh, wow. And that is a Tim Burton movie that right. is, is not, not Danny scored Elfman. by Danny Elfman, yeah. And Ed Wood is great. I still need to see that, That's too. That's a great movie. That's another one of my bucket lists. He's got a whole bunch here. Oh, he... Uh, this game, dude, so he worked with Fincher? Yeah, he th- th- he's worked on everything. He's Copland? Mm-hmm. Dogma? Dogma. Uh, oh, that's right. He did he that. Did I Dogma. forgot. I did not realize that. Uh, that's because Kevin Smith always demands his composers do Muzak for his movies. Yes. High Fidelity? Oh, man. Gangs of New York? Panic Room? Yeah. So he's actually done a lot of stuff. Oh, Conan yeah. O'Brien's 10th anniversary yeah. special. <laughs> Aviator, History of Violence. Yeah, he's he's been all over the place. Yeah. And actually, I, I will bring this up just to jump back to the thematic elements of it. I brought up Dogma when we were watching it. Yes. Because there's a line at the end of Dogma that yep. Chris Rock says where he says, don't have beliefs, have ideas. Yep. And I think that is it ties somewhat into that tied philosophy into thing that exactly. they, they talk about in this movie. It, Kill Bill has a lot of ideas. Yep. And you can take them, take them, leave them, whatever, but they're not yep. forcing them down your throat. Whereas Left Behind, that's got beliefs. That's got beliefs. You know, that's got a code. Yes. And that's, you, you don't want a code. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is specific. You know, it's also, it's like made with the explicit intention of, of changing your code, of getting mm-hmm. you to accept that code. Uh, and I, I think that's what Cronenberg is probably expressing the most anxiety over in in this movie um which is fascinating because that's what the entire american culture was expressing anxiety over in the 80s uh it's it's so interesting to see like movies that are products of of a cultural anxiety mm-hmm. that's like very interesting to me um i watched dirty harry recently for like the second or third time and I, it was the only the first time especially now that we are currently in a very very anxious period in america oh, uh, especially around law enforcement around yeah. law enforcement that movie is very, very specifically a a sort of reactionary movie to the anxieties of the time. Both mm-hmm. both anxieties around the way police were handling their police work and 
just fucking gunmen out in the street killing people. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same anxieties we're having now. Uh, and how do we solve that? At least at that period, we made a bunch of movies about vigilante cops, cops yep. that worked outside of the law. Uh, we saw them as heroic, which now we're facing a problem where because we we sort of treated them as heroes, that has become a norm of its own, this like cowboy cop thing that has resulted in a lot more... And we don't need to get into this. No, podcast, no, but I, but I mean, I think you're right where it's, yeah, like maybe there's a reason there's the system. Right. You know, like maybe you should be following these rules. Well, but it's know. also, it's just, it's it's that same cyclical reciprocal thing where it's like we express, that was how we expressed that anxiety mm-hmm. over over the law and the lawlessness of the time. And we invented these, what seemed like heroes to us at the time of these like vigilante cops. Uh, and then that fuels a period of, of, not that that created it or anything, but eventually a period of safety comes in in like the in like the late eighties and the early nineties, and who knows, maybe that's built on this idea of vigilante cops or whatever. But they become heroized in a way, and now we end up on the you know the pendulum swings back around. We're back to being very anxious over law enforcement and 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 guns in the street and stuff. And well, what is that anxiety going to look like now? What kind of movies mm-hmm. are going to make now? I will bet you we won't make vigilante cop movies. Oh, we'll make vigilante cop movies like Bad Lieutenant, where the vigilante right. cop is not so good. Right. You know, where he's he's not the good guy. Right. He's not the hero. Yeah. It, it's just interesting. I'm, I'm suddenly fascinated by this idea of movies that are a product of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, th- I think that's very fascinating. It's really interesting to watch a filmmaker wrestle with a cultural anxiety because oftentimes they seem to not take a personal perspective on it necessarily and simply just try and deal with that anxiety. You know what I mean? That's why I thought, I mean, that's why when I saw Hateful Eight, it bumped up to my number two of last year because this is a filmmaker who wasn't necessarily saying this is the way to feel, but it was like, look at this mirror. Right. Look at it. Right. Look at it. Right. You know, and it's, it, it got me in a way and it was just that, you know, it's, I mean, we're still having the same conversation that we're having today. And at that moment, it you know, for a second, I had to stop and be like, "Shit, I'm looking in this mirror." Right. And it was a reactionary film. Yes, exactly. You know? But once again, it's also you know, to credit Tarantino, there's no code or no. philosophy being there. There's just an idea. Yeah, and he's literally exploring it. He's like, he's mm-hmm. just exploring that anxiety. And I, I think that that's probably a mark of like a great filmmaker who Absolutely. doesn't feel the need to put a personal stamp on. And this is how I think about it. Mm. Is instead just sort of exploring all the angles of it so that we can have a piece of art that allows us to get inside of the different angles of that anxiety rather than telling us how to feel about that anxiety or presenting what will ultimately be a false solution to that anxiety. It is just saying, no, just, just look in all the dark corners. Oh yeah. Make sure you explore all of these. Dark you might corners. be, you might be looking at it at an angle that you didn't even realize existed. Right. And you know, it opens up this menu of a million different angles. Yeah, exactly. Which is why we have to have a conversation about Videodrome to even come down on a, on a hint of an idea of what we think Cronenberg might have thought about it. Because I don't think Cronenberg necessarily wants us to know what he thinks about it. Mm-mm. He just wants to explore and present it so that we can have this conversation. He's just saying, look how powerful media yep. and technology is. Yep. And it's going to keep growing. Yes. Work, you know, get into, you know, if you're going to get into the machine. Yeah. Do it right. Pay attention. Yeah, exactly. Look yeah. at all the pieces. Yep. Look at all the pieces. Don't yeah. just pull the lever. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's so good. This, this is such a fantastic movie. Yeah. I, I we it's so funny because we've talked about doing an episode on the fly forever, and we'll get there eventually. Mm. And and just yesterday we were like, let's do the fly, the fly. We'll do the fly. And then we sat for a second. And you were like, what about Videodrome? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's do, do Videodrome. Video 
I mean, we can talk about the fly, but I have a feeling we're going to end up touching more upon the craft of the film than yes. anything. Although, I mean, there is a thematic thing oh, of just really here's a guy who you know just didn't understand his technology, didn't yep. consider yep. the flaws inherent with his technology, mm-hmm. or and his own now ego. has to deal with it, or his own. Well, and his yep. ego is what caused that. Yep. You know, he just he never assumed something so small as a fly yep. would hop into that machine with him. Yep. Because it was just he's the biggest thing in the room. Yep. Let's do it. Yeah. Should we uh, should we get into some listing? I think we should get into the listing. I'm excited about this list. Any closing thoughts on Videodrome? I'm no, all I out. No, I think that was it. We, I, think, I think we really hit it hard. That was good. So we were talking about, for the list, uh, in honor of Debbie Harry uh, putting in a yes. wonderful performance in this movie, we were talking about uh, other times that musicians popped into movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my own personal list, I, I tried to avoid things like Mark Wahlberg or Will Smith, where it was like, they're at the point where, like, Mark Wahlberg's not a musician. Right. Uh, he's an actor that yes. used to do music. Will Smith, every once in a while, pumps out a song, but he's an actor now. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I almost don't want to say it because I wonder if he's on your list, but, like, I knew Tyrese as an actor first. I know, no, he's not on my so, list, okay, but yeah, okay. yeah. I So it's things like that I tried to discount. I also tried to discount, like, I thought about Stephen Van Zandt. Oh, yeah. who was on The Sopranos for mm-hmm. a long time. Then he has his own show, Lily Hammer. And I thought, you know what? It, like, he made the jump. Right. Um, you know, and so it, I tried to avoid that as best I could. I mostly did, too. And I also tried to avoid what are ultimately just cameos by musicians yes. in movies. Yeah. I tried to go for things where they're, they're an actual character yeah. in the movie. I tried to hit that. I tried to keep that, too. Um, you want to just tag team back and forth? You hit me with yeah, one, I'll yeah. hit you with another. Uh, one of my first, my first one here, uh, this one I thought was notable because this character plays uh, a, a person that we all know, and it is the, the new boyfriend of the one that got away. And this is Paul Simon in Annie Hall. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a very small role, and he plays a guy who's not necessarily a bad guy. Right. But he's just that guy that that when you see your ex with him, you're like, oh, a fucking course. Uh Oh, he's a poet. Uh And he doesn't play a dick or anything. But as this foil to Woody Allen's like, because, I mean, at that point, Woody Allen is in perfect agreement with, I'm not meant to be with Annie Hall, Mm -hmm. but we had a good time and we'll always have that fond memory. And when he sees that she's with Paul Simon, a little twinge of of the classic Woody Allen, like, are you fucking kidding me with this Uh guy? Shows up again. And it's very funny. And I know it's just handled in a classy way. And Paul Simon being just a a, a little man folk singer who's insanely talented, uh, that aspect, you know, knowing that he's Paul Simon almost helps his performance because you just know he's playing a version of Paul Simon. That's such a great choice. Yeah, Paul Simon and Annie Hall. Uh, This one is maybe a little little bit cheesy. I feel like most people see this coming, but I just... it's a great movie, and I really like this performance in it. Uh, and he's acted in a few things, but definitely mostly known as a musician. I bet he's the next one on my list. We we just lost him this year. Uh, Bowie in the Prestige. That that he was actually my my last one. My yeah. number one was Bowie Bowie in the Prestige. He, he's, That's an awesome performance. He's so great in it. He's really really good in it, and he's also like in this really long sprawling movie that has like all of these interesting and intricate plot mechanics about diaries being passed back and forth and who's narrating whose story and blah, blah, blah. He is this 
he's he Tesla. Is, he's the anchor of that movie. Actually, he's yeah. he is like the centerpiece that everything is rotating around. Where everybody else is like making all these moves to to win one over on each other. He is just this anchor of a character right in the he's middle like of the all Tesla of it. He's like the Tesla coil in the <laughs> exactly. lightning of chaos all around him. Exactly. Why? why I mean, I put. It, I mean, I, I didn't rank these, but he was definitely the one either. I was going to unveil last yeah. because I didn't know that was David Bowie when Me I neither. saw it. And when I was watching it on video, I was I, I bought the DVD because I love that Me movie. Too. And I was reading, I'm like, who did David Bowie play in this? And right. when I saw that, I, it I, he still doesn't Blew register as no, David Bowie. Doesn't. But what's so phenomenal phenomenal about that performance is I don't have any concept short short of one photo of what Nikola Tesla Mm-mm. was like. Mm-mm. I know what he looked like, and you know, I mean, he just he, anybody could just you know, it's just it's just the old timey look. Yeah, I had no idea what he was like. But the legend that he that he had was very well captured there. Agreed, and that is some some primo Bowie. He's oh, a yeah. good actor. Oh yeah, I, I, Bowie. Bowie. I think we'll probably have a lot of crossover on our list as we go. I have a feeling. Hit me with another one of yours. Um, my next one was Scatman Crothers in The Shining. Dude, he's on my list too. He was nice. going to be my final review. Oh, right on. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So they, awesome. they were even there. Yeah. That is, he's one of those guys that, I mean, he's in great, like a lot of great movies like Zapped. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. That, but uh, that animated movie, Coonskin, was, Hon- was oh, yes. awesome. And he was Hong Kong Fooey. Awesome. He was Hong Kong Fooey. He yep. was. But that's another one where he is a jazz musician. Yes. But uh, that, even, even though he dies in The Shining, mm-hmm. When I read the sequel book, yes. Dr. Sleep, and he's a character in that, mm-hmm. I could not see anybody but Scatman. He def- and even though those are two decidedly different takes on the character, 100%. Um, his take on it works for both, yep. and that's, that's cool. He, and again, you're, we're talking about like the, uh, a really interesting character in a movie that's like all about like pure evil and or panic in the face of pure evil. He is a, a bright spot in yep. that movie uh, and effectively sells both fear and humor throughout. He has a warmth to him. Mm-hmm. And just based on what I know, I mean, there's always the Louis bit. If you see a black guy with gray hair, <laughs> he knows what it was like to like really, really be in it. So like fucking relax, white people. Yeah. You know, that. And so seeing an, an aged uh, black man in the 70s, yep. you're like, here's a guy who plays all of these characters of warmth, and you know that both the character and the actor have seen some shit. shit. Like yeah. some real ass shit. And for him to have that warmth is this, it's a type of class that you just don't often associate with. Yeah. And it radiates from the screen. Totally. He's good at it. He's even, so I mean, great. even in something like Zapped, you yeah. see this guy who's oh. in a silly 80s rape comedy. Yep. And he does a, you know, he smoked too much pot, he's zany and all oh, that. Oh, that's so great. But at, at the same time, you're like, like what a tremendous, just, it's just tremendous. He, well, he, he commits to those things, right? Yeah. Like, that's what's so funny about those sequences and He's Zapped, a performer. He's a real he performer. He's really performing the shit out of that stuff. And it works because of it. It's great. I knew he was going to be, I knew that was going to be a yeah, crossover. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to be. Uh, here, let me hit you with another one. Uh, I'm, I'd be curious if this ended up on your list. Uh, I don't know that we've ever even talked about this movie before. Uh, I loved this movie when I was like in high school, moving into college, especially because some of my own experiences in high school. Uh, and it stars Mandy Moore, Saved. 
You ever oh, see Saved? Saved, yes. With uh, Macaulay Culkin. That was a good movie. It's a really good movie. I uh, saw it in the theater, actually. I don't remember much about it. Yeah, I think I saw it in theaters. I think I own it on DVD somewhere. I rewatched it a bunch because, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast out loud before, I talk about my stand-up a little bit. Uh, I was a born-again Christian when I was in middle school mm. through some of my high school years. Uh, and so I have a lot of experience in the in actually almost the specific world that that movie is set in. That, mm-hmm. that type of Christianity depicted in that movie is the type of Christian I was that was the kind of church i was a part of uh very evangelical very homophobic very like all of those like basically the most awful things you could associate with christianity that's the kind of church i was a part of for like four or five years wow yeah uh so i find that movie really really interesting it actually really captures that world in a really good way uh and by good way i mean it shows you how brutal and disgusting most of it is uh and many more Shows up in a fucking oh, really yeah. good performance, she actually. Yeah. She's like the bully girl yeah. at the Christian school. I kind of miss her. I always like. She's anymore. really good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a movie where it's like mostly young actors that not a lot of them went on to do a whole lot. Macaulay Culkin was somehow resurging a career at 25. Huh. He's the, the Pete's underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it. it it's very good, and uh, oh, Michael Stipe produced it. Of uh, uh, of, of course he did. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I like that movie a lot. I recommend people see it, and she's really good in it. I saw that in the theater, and I remember really enjoying it because I wasn't raised evangelical, but I was raised Catholic. Yes, and it you know confirmed in everything, yep. and it's one of those where it was never really pushed on me. It was just that was the culture we were in, yep. um, and it it wasn't until. You know, as older that I was able to have the boldness to sort of be crass towards it. Right. Because I still had that fear of God bred into me. Yes. So I was never at the point of evangelical, but it was definitely there. Like there's there's homophobia in my family to Uh, this day. Like it is it is there. Yep. That movie definitely captures the and you know it wasn't that extreme, but it captures that world brilliant. That is a good movie. It really I'd like does. to watch that again. You know what it captures? It's funny as shit. It's too. really funny. You know what it really captures too? That is what makes evangelicism or however you would say that uh, so scary. Is the way I got wrapped up in it um, was not through fear of God or anything. They they bred that in me. Uh, it was through a sense of family. Yeah. Um, they really really know how to present. And make you feel as though you are included in a large family unit, like a cult. That ca- exactly, <laughs> exactly, that cares for you in a way that you haven't been before. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that movie really captures that feeling that an organization like that can give you, like you said, like a cult, uh, and then reveals that it is essentially a cult. That's mm. what's so great about that movie, and it does it all with a very light touch and yeah. like a really good sense of humor. The the head priest is the guy from all the Hal Hartley movies. Yes. What is his name? Uh, 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 fucking Martin fuck. Donovan. Yes, Martin Donovan. There's yep. one scene that I remember where he's like on stage doing his evangelical thing, and he rocks like a perfect backflip. Yes. Yeah, I can yeah, picture yeah. that, and it's so funny to me. That is, dude. That is the perfect picture of a youth leader. That yeah. is, it, that is exactly of course what he they're just all like. Himself to do a backflip. That is what they're all like. It's crazy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Macaulay Culkin in a wheelchair. Macaulay Culkin yeah. in a wheelchair. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, My next entry is kind of cheating. Okay. It's not fully cheating, yeah. but I think it's one of those performances that is is like. It's it's the part that everyone quotes in Walk Hard, and it's when Jack White shows up oh. to play Elvis. Yes. I'm a huge Jack White fan. Yeah. My favorite musician, bar none. Yeah. So when he showed up, that brought me glee anyway. But he commits to this character of Elvis as 
Elvis who knows he's the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he knows he's the best, but he's also pretty nice, but he's the best. You yeah, know, like, yeah. And so he just shows up for one scene, yep. shows off his karate, shows off his <laughs> attitude, right. and then, you know, does a, a, a good little show with Dewey Cox. Yeah. That is a great That's a great, great scene. Great scene. Yeah. And it's another one where it's just, oh, here's a guy who definitely was brought on for novelty. Right. And then suddenly, oh shit, he's got some like he yeah. he knew how to do some comic chops. That's impressive to yeah. me. Yeah, that's good stuff. That is great. Uh, that actually leads me to my next pick. Very is it coffee and cigarettes? It's coffee and cigarettes. I, I ended up cutting that because people played themselves. Oh. But I kept thinking about it because I was like, Iggy Pop and Tom Waits are so good at that One movie. of the best scenes, RZA and Jizza oh, with Bill yeah. Murray. And you have the white stripes in that movie, too. Yep. They have that yep. whole Tesla coil scene. Yep. Uh, here's That is a great flick. It's, it's a great flick. All three of those scenes are great. And the reason I chose it is because despite the fact that all those people are playing themselves... They're clearly playing heightened character versions of themselves. That's very true. For the sake of those scenes. And they're all doing it like very exceptionally, I they're think. They're doing it like this is the end style. Yeah. Where it's, yeah okay, that, that that makes me think, yeah. And, and I and I think they're all really good, too. Like those, I would actually say that those three scenes are probably three of my favorite scenes in that movie. And mm. it's not because they're musicians I like. It's because they're actually good scenes where everybody is really acting well and... They're all funny. They're, you know what I mean? There's, oh, there's some a of the sense of self-awareness yes. that, that takes a little bit of class. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I really enjoy that movie. And Bill Groundhog it was really Day. hard. <laughs> I know. It was really hard not to include coffee and cigarettes when there's fucking like six musicians oh, yeah. in it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. My favorite segment in that, and I don't know who it is, uh, I actually don't know any of the people are in it, is the lady reading the gun catalog, and she has oh. her coffee perfect. Yeah. And then the waiter comes over and pours the coffee in, and she's upset because she had it perfect. That's it's right. It's so simple. I, I love that. I forgot about that scene. That's my favorite I, I segment. Often, I think of the Alfred Molina one on Oh, that. it's so good. Yeah. Uh, a great line in that movie is when Iggy Pop and Tom Waits are eating together, and there's the pack of cigarettes oh, that yeah. neither of them want to smoke yeah. because they both quit. But they both agree upon. Well, the good thing about about having quit is you can just have one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, right. it's okay. So if you if you do, I will. And yeah. then they, you know that's so funny. But I get that psychology. Totally, I, I've been there, and yep. that is also totally the rock and roll psychology yes. of like I broke the addiction. So what's the hard? Yeah. What's the what's the harm in, in shooting up one more time? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, hit me with another one, baby. All right, this is my last one, and this is one of my favorites because he ends up, even though he's in two very small scenes, he ends up being the crux of what brings down Marty McFly, if not for the altered timescape, and that's Flea as Needles. I thought about Flea because he's in a ton of movies. He's I, needles. I couldn't decide on. He one. gets future Marty fired from his job yep. because he calls him a chicken. Uh-huh. He's also who was in the the car race with the yes. Rolls Royce that ruined his music career. That he eventually, you know, he he avoids that mm-hmm. by you know rejecting Diverging needles. The timeline, yeah. But he plays such like b- before. I had any concept of Flea, I had a concept of needles. Yep. And so he just to me was just a weird looking dude. And yep. then as I get older, and he's you know the greatest bass player who's ever lived. It's I don't know if that's true, but I'll take <laughs> it. I mean, he's fucking great. He's good, yeah. And he's just this like you know cheesy little guy who just can do it all. He, you, you would look at Flea and go, I can't put him in a movie because he's Flea, right? But he is an insanely important, if small part, into the lore of my favorite trilogy, Back and, to the Future. And he's in like a ton of movies. He's actually. in a ton of movies. He's, he pops up all the time, and he's and he's. Kind of great at popping into movies. He's yeah. like a perfect guy to just throw in a scene. Needles is a real character. Oh, yeah. I get who Needles is based on just how skeevy Flea makes him look. Yeah. But, you know, 
Flea's a funny looking guy, but I don't get the sense that he's an actual sleazeball, but he can he could do it. Yeah. It's so crazy. Paul Shear should put together an acting reel where he just does all of Flea's yeah. scenes in any movie Flea's that been would be in. Amazing. <laughs> they both got the teeth thing yeah. going. They can pull it off. Yeah, Flea and back to the f- Needles. Needles. Good old Needles. And I love that his name is Needles. I know. I was talking to one of my coworkers today about it, and he developed this whole theory about how maybe the Back to the Future trilogy has an element where they're where needles represents you know addiction uh-huh and and it's funny too because in a way it does make sense because needles is the you know you don't want to do what i'm telling oh, yeah. you to do but what are you chicken come on yeah, do exactly it. do it do yeah. it and that is kind of how that, that works that is kind of so how addiction works makes, yeah and his name's needles his name's <laughs> needles yeah <laughs> oh and by the way his name is needles what's the matter mcfly chicken <laughs> yeah. chicken followed immediately by mcfly <laughs> i love that oh it's so good oh, i want to watch them all now they're uh, all on netflix now too we still got to watch the third one for the show yes yes that's oh, the thing we can so do underrated yeah uh, all right, this is my last one, and I, I had been tossing up between a bunch of movies with this uh, musician, because uh, he's in quite a few, uh, about which one I maybe liked the most, but I went with the one where I felt like like he was he did the most, and like really was, like uh, I thought, very good in this movie, and, and had more to do than in most movies he's in. I went with uh, Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. Nice, uh, nice. He, I think he's very good in The Social Network. He is Network. good in that. That is probably his most significant role to date. Or no, I guess he has like starred in a movie or two, but like movies I don't think I've seen. Yeah. Um, They're uh, like Jay Timberlake movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But he is, but you know, I thought about, I actually thought about including Inside Lewin Davis just because he's in it. He doesn't do anything in it, but I I thought about that. Um, I also thought about Alpha Dog, which uh, uh, I think is kind of underrated and he's really good in, but he has a very small role in that. Uh, I like The Social Network a lot. Yeah. And he is surprisingly good in it. The, he is going toe-to-toe with a bunch of very good actors in that movie. And I think holds up really well. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he wasn't always great. No. Um, Black Snake Moan is a good movie, and mm-hmm. he has a small role in it. And he's not bad, but you're like, here's a guy who's new to movies. Yeah. And then when you see him do something like Social Network, you're like, oh, he learned. Oh, yeah. he's. I, I think he is... Possibly the most talented human living on the planet. <laughs> he was right designed now. in a lab. Yeah. What happened was it was the same thing as as Devito and Schwarzenegger and twins. Yeah. But it's The Rock and Timberlake, <laughs> and they were just like, "All right, we need one person to dominate all media." And they're like, "Well, let's split them up. We'll give one muscles and one can sing." Yeah. And then they they sent them about their ways. Yeah. It's and it was a brilliant plan. Oh yeah, uh, he's he's amazing, and I, I just I, I love that movie, and he's great in it. Any uh, honorable mentions? I do. Uh, I have some, mostly just to make you laugh, I think, more than anything. Uh, but I grabbed uh, um, I Heart Huckabees because both Marky Mark and yeah. Jason Schwartzman are in it. I was talking about both that musicians. with the same co-worker today, yeah. and that came up. Yep, that Bo- came up. Both, both musicians. Talked about Meatloaf yeah, in Fight, Fight Club, Club but yeah. that was another one where I was just like, I, I, Fight Club, gets. it's a great movie, Yeah, but like, do we really need to give it more press? I yeah. mean, it's it's set in stone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my my other one that uh, this just this is mostly to make me giggle that I'm bringing this up, but I'm also going to bring up Jackie Chan and Police Story. Yeah, right. There's a fun <laughs> fact about Jackie Chan that I learned not long ago is he's recorded the theme song to almost every single one of his movies. He was more famous as a singer in his home country than as a martial artist. I had no idea. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. He's recorded over 200 songs in his career. Uh, boy, I spent a lot of time looking that up a couple weeks ago. The closing credit song for Who Am I? Oh, that's is what I've heard. Totally him just like just fucking Adeling. He's just like going crazy. I also heard that movie's great. Yeah, that is a good movie. Yeah. It's actually like a movie more than a karate movie. Right. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. 
I had a couple of honorable mentions. This one's goofy, but Harry Connick Jr. Oh, yeah. gets blown up in Independence Day. Oh, fuck, right. And, uh, and it's funny because I thought of him long before I ever even thought of Will Smith. Yeah. And Henry Rollins in anything, anything Henry Rollins he shows done. up in. Yeah. He's awesome. Yep. Because he's just the king of the bestness. Yeah. He's my favorite champion. I love Henry <laughs> Rollins. He's the best. Oh, I just thought of another one, actually, because I watched Prince of Darkness this week for the first time, Ooh. and Alice Cooper is in that as one of the homeless people. Uh, yeah. yeah. We could always say D. Snyder in a, what's it called? Uh, Strangeland. Oh, Strangeland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a list here of just other ones that I toyed with. Neil Diamond and Saving oh, Silverman. Oh, my God. How did I miss that one? Um, Sting and Dune. Uh, uh, oh, uh, I thought of another one. Ready? This one is going to make you laugh, too, I think, because I can't believe I'm bringing this movie up. What is it called? Oh, uh, 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 John Bon Jovi in Pay It Forward. Oh, or in Vampires Los Muertos. Oh, I've never seen that one. Oh, it's the sequel to the John Carpenter movie with James Woods. Oh. Um, we have Chris Isaac in Everything Lynch. Um, oh, yeah, right, right. Um, I had uh, the powered... Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Mick Jagger and Free Jack. Right. Courtney yep. Love, The People versus Larry uh-huh, Flint. Uh-huh. Ringo and Caveman. <laughs> uh, Huey Lewis, Back to the yep, Future. Yep. Frank Stallone, The Singing Bum in Rocky. <laughs> Sting in Dune. Yeah. Yep. These are all. Uh, wait, there was another one on here. Oh, and the power duo of just Tyrese and Luda. Yeah. All throughout. Too fast. Too <laughs> all furious. throughout the whole Furious family, but. Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. But we're going to open this up to our listeners. Yes. Uh, I like to movie at gmail.com. We got. Send us your favorite or most notable uh, uh, musician in a movie. Yes. And a reason why. We'll be reading them on the air and we're going to pick one. If we pick yours, you get to pick any movie for us to do. So yes. you can reach out to us at I like to movie at gmail.com. Um, you can also tweet it at us at yeah. I like to movie, although you want to probably use the email because if you get a good verbose explanation, yeah. that is a great way to win the right to pick the movie. Yes. Um, literally any movie, as long as we haven't done it, and as long as it's not a porno, unless yeah. it's Deep Throat, we could totally do Deep we Throat because deep that's throat. historically uh, notable. It, yes. Uh, yeah, we, we really want to uh, interact with the audience as much as we can, and so we are going to start doing contests like this as often as we can. So please email us, give us your favorite uh, musician in a movie, tell mm-hmm. us why, and you will get to choose one of the upcoming movie movies that yep. we uh, we move movie. Literally anything. You Any- can torture anything. us with something yeah. bad. Yeah. You can make us watch like Doctor Zhivago yeah. and yeah. just te- whatever it is. Yep. Anything. We're gonna do it. So uh, so yeah. Make sure you email us. I like two movie. That's the number two at gmail dot com uh, with your favorite musician in a movie. Uh, and um, th- th- we we wanted to mention one other thing. What was it? Um, We're gonna be back in two uh, weeks that's what it was. Yes. with an episode. Uh, Actually, because maybe just in a week, right? Oh, uh, yeah, actually, in a week. Yeah, we'll be back in about a week, we'll say. Roughly a week, so stay tuned. We're going to put out a bonus episode to uh, cover the new Ghostbusters. Yes. Because so much chatter Friday. has been about this movie, and we want to contribute to it, and we want you to listen. So yeah. we will be doing the new Ghostbusters, so go check it out. It is going to be spoiler-filled, so yes, definitely yes. check it out, and then tune in to us. It will be available. Yep. Uh, and that's uh, uh, another thing that hopefully you can look forward to is we would like to uh, uh, get you guys more involved by just letting you know what movies are coming up mm-hmm. uh, so that you can give them a watch before you listen to the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Any recommendations you want to throw out while I, we're at it? I want to throw two, two yep. big ones for me. Uh, I don't know what happened to me, 
I've never been into cars my entire life. I have become a car but movie. But you fucked a helicopter, I did. and now it's I over. I fucked a helicopter. <laughs> I'm a mechophiliac now. Uh, I, I don't know what it came over me, but I am obsessed with car movies right now. I've been watching a ton of car movies, and I wholeheartedly recommend both uh, Vanishing Point, which is one of Quentin Tarantino's <sighs> favorite that. movies. It's fantastic. Uh, it, it is a great uh, a, a cultural artifact um, that... that it's fantastic. You need to see it. It, it, it actually uh, also seems to be an influence, an unspoken influence on Mad Max Fury Road. It, it is one car chase for an entire movie. It is thrilling, exciting, and it is about America at the time that it was made. It uses a car chase to tell you about the country that we were living in at the time. It's awesome. Uh, and I also wholeheartedly recommend Walter Hill's second movie, The Driver. Uh, another fantastic car movie. Uh, James Conn? Uh, no, that uh, uh, that is um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Ryan O'Neill is oh, the main okay, actor, okay, in it. Yeah, yeah. and and um, uh, uh, Bruce Dern plays the Bruce detective Dern. in it. Bruce Dern, he's great. Yes. He is great in it. Oh, he chews up some fantastic scenery in that movie. Uh, it, it's a great car movie. Uh, it's a great car chase movie, but it is also a huge influence on uh, Nicholas Winding Rain's uh, Drive. Nice. Uh, that's nice. where the idea of the silent driver, uh, who's a getaway driver, kind of comes from. Uh, it, it, drive, it, it, dri- sorry, the driver is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. I just farted. <laughs> uh, right on. I, I've never seen either of those, They're both and fantastic. I would like to see it. I would, uh, are those Shout Factory ones? Uh, I, th- uh, I think that might have been where I found one of them. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll find where I found them both and send you links. They're, right they're, on. They're great. I will say there's a double feature you can do right now in the movie theaters. They are both thematically similar and both so filled with joy and both seriously threatening to fuck up my top of the year list. I love that. The first one being Swiss Army Man. Yes, I have to. Which is, oh, it's amazing. Never as a movie. That's why you farted. You were were heralding in your announcement for Swiss Army Man. But it's the Farting Corpse movie. But it's also, I don't know how to describe it. It's like so just hopeful. Yeah. But it's also so just like. Like, like cynical and yeah, like, yeah. but it's so funny and it's got one of those endings that like you are either going to love it as yeah. I did yeah. or you're going to be like oh fuck you <laughs> and uh, that's my favorite kind of art yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's just great and I would say that it is a career best performance for both Paul Dano and uh, Daniel Radcliffe I love it hearing that it is incredible I love hearing that the soundtrack is like nothing you have ever heard awesome. it is so good and it's about, you know, a farting corpse that has a <laughs> compass boner. It is so good. It's crazy. I can't wait crazy. to see it. Crazy. And uh, you can pair that with Hunt for the Wilder People, yes. which is Taika Waititi's Taika Waititi. new movie, which features a, like, top-of-his-game Sam Neill. Oh, I love that. It's it's so funny, but it's it's another one that's like it could be coldly cynical, but it's yeah. like very joyous and yeah. very funny and very real. It is so good. I, I mean, I, I don't know I'm so what to say about either, but to just gush. It is. Uh, if you don't like Swiss Army Man, it's just not for you. Yep. But it, it's pretty phenomenal. If you like this show, you'll probably like it. But if you don't like Hunt for the Wilder People, like you might not have a soul. That <laughs> it is. It is just. It's lovely. It's yeah. just so good, and it's so funny. Oh, I love that. Yeah, great flicks, both of them, and they're both in theaters now. And if, if you can. See them both back to back. You win. You if you win need life. Two more reasons to go see Hunt for the Wilder People. I haven't seen it, but I can give them to you. Uh, Taika Waititi is also the director of What We Do in the Shadows, which yep. Dan and I both very much loved, and you should see that. Uh, he's also the upcoming director of the upcoming Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So if you're a comic book fan, which I know a lot of our listeners are, uh, uh, that's a good reason to go check out Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Ah, oh, Sam Neill. Love that Can't man. Can't wait to see. He's great. Love that Can't man. Can't wait to uh, see those movies. Watch Possession, man. This shit is. 
Yo, he's in possession? He is possession. Oh. Shit is like where it's at. Dope. Got to yeah. see it. All right. All right. All right. Let's so, wrap yes, this up. At I like to movie on Twitter. Yep. I like to movie at gmail.com if you want to play our game. Mm-hmm. And of course, check us out on all of the media. You can find me on all media at Dan Scully and log on to Cinadelphia.com. You can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F. And uh, you can find me on letterbox.com slash Philadelphia. That's with an F. I review every movie I watch there. Uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. Yep. We'll see you next week with Ghostbusters. Thank you guys so much. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie. Because, because we, we like to movie. <laughs>